I eat a healthy diet, I'm using air quotes. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm eating a plant-based diet and I see a commercial that says purple soda is part of a healthy diet. Should mm-hmm. I take that to mean that purple soda is healthy? No. We're pregnant. Bro, do you even live? I can't eat another one bite. One is usually bigger than the other. It tastes awful. It hurt a bit. Why is it leaking? Did you that? That was not there yesterday. I'll have a second of it. totally my natural girl. Am I supposed to look like that? Don't worry. That was deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the rest of us a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body, its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's Let's do do this. It's time, everyone. Time to talk about airplane ear. Just kidding. Airplane ear will actually be another adventure for later this summer. But instead, for this week's adventure, it's time to talk about organic food. Siri is off again this episode because she's not the boss of me. And that works out because for this week's adventure, I was joined by special co-host and registered dietitian, Candice. We talked all about what organic food is, how it's different from conventional food, and whether it's actually any healthier. You'll probably agree that our chat speaks pretty well for itself. And for that reason, I don't really have many things I need to tell you about before we cut away to the audio. I will say that if we get to the end and you decide you like Candace better than Siri, shoot us an email at info at healthscienceforeveryone.com and let us know. If enough of you write in, we may just be able to convince Candace to chat with us more often in future episodes. So getting back to organic food, one last thing you'll want to know before we start is that there's a point in our conversation where Candace talks about the WHO sharing reports about meat and cancer. You should know that when she says this, she isn't talking about the WHO as in the band. She's talking about the WHO, as in the World Health Organization. There's also another time when we start using the term USDA, and when we do, know that we're talking about the United States Department of Agriculture. Lastly, Candace and I spoke this week through the not-so-magic of internet and used a different program than usual, so... There may be times when you hear a little static, but you should still be able to understand everything that we're saying. So there's that. Time for me to pipe down so we can play my chat with Candace all about the delicious snackums. But after it's over, I'll be back to tie up a few loose ends you'll hear during our conversation. All right, let's do this. Because I want to talk about organic food. But before we get into that, do you want to say anything about what you do and why we should care what you think about food? (laughs) Sure. So I'm a registered dietitian and licensed nutritionist. Um, I work with cancer patients in the oncology world. So I I study and um, just do a lot of research with what foods affect our cancer risk and teach cancer survivors, how to eat better and eat well throughout their survivorship journey to reduce the risk of recurrence and reduce the risk of other diseases. Yeah. So you mentioned dietitian and nutritionist. Yes. What's, yes. what's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? 
Well, thank you for asking that. I'm glad you asked that. I always want to enlighten people about that. So recently, actually, we used to just be called RDs, which is registered dietitian, but they wanted to incorporate the nutritionist component since more people understand what a nutritionist versus dietitian is. So now we're called registered dietitian nutritionist. Um, and the difference is all dietitians are nutritionists, but nutritionists are not all dietitians. If you call yourself a nutritionist, it does not have any kind of requirement or certification or um, any kind of backing of an organization by it. I mean, you could call yourself a nutritionist if you wanted to, or my mother could call herself a nutritionist. Um, so anybody could be a nutritionist. You know, there's no um, governing body with it. Like there is for a, a dietitian who requires a four-year degree, an internship, a board certified test, um, continue education, all that kind of stuff. Oh, so it sounds like nutritionist or nutrition is like the field of study or like a body of knowledge that you would have. And the people who do formal training in nutrition are the ones who become dietitians. Correct. Yes. But you need a license. You, you said you're a licensed nutritionist. Yes. So in different, all states have a licensure. Um, so you have to basically just fill out an application and you have to become licensed in your state. All states do it differently. So uh, one of the things you mentioned is that you work with people to learn about how to eat better and to help people learn about what foods might affect their cancer risk or what what things they can do with what they're eating in mm -hmm. order to try and help make it so that they stay healthy while they're in recovery after they've been treated for cancer mm -hmm. or so that they can try and prevent the cancer from coming back. What are some of the most common themes that you wind up talking about when people come to learn about this stuff? Well, they always first want to know what type of diet they should follow, how they should be eating. Should they be eating vegan, vegetarian, organic, soy-free, dairy-free? Tons of questions about specifically what type of diet they should follow. So that's probably like the number one question. Um, and then what they should avoid, that's always a question. What shouldn't I eat? I get that question probably from everybody. What should I stay away from? And then just a lot of dispelling myths too. Um, a lot of cancer patients are very informative and do a lot of their own research. And sometimes they find things that are true and sometimes not. So it's really just kind of going through and saying, yes, that's correct. No, that's not correct. Um, but a lot of areas are also black and or not black and white, they're gray. And, and so you kind of have to explain that to, to people. So, and, and nutrition is ongoing. Research is always changing and continuing. Um, and so, and the thing I always tell people, and it's, it's something hard to research because we don't just eat one food and we don't just eat one thing. We eat a whole diet. And so it's hard to pinpoint certain things. So it's pretty complex. So we try and just break it down to what we know from research and evidence and teach them that those things. Um, so, but those are probably the most questions that I usually get from people. So in terms of what people should eat and in terms of what the research shows us, what does it seem like is the most healthy thing that people should consider for what they eat? So what we recommend, what I recommend for survivors is a, is a plant-based diet. And that's basically just a plant-heavy diet. Most of what we eat should be plants, um, while a little bit of it should be animal products, um, if desired. Not necessarily have to be, but if you want to eat animal products, should be, it should just be in lesser amounts than plant foods. We should really fill our plate with half of vegetables at every meal if we can. Eat whole grains, beans, nuts, seeds, those types of foods, um, and keep animal products to a smaller amount. I, I've been noticing that the healthcare field or that the healthcare system has been sort of shifting towards encouraging people to eat plant-based diets, and it's come as a bit of a surprise because for a long time, the big thing was that you need all this protein and that right. you need calcium, that you should be drinking a lot of milk and eating right. a lot of meats. Everyone was concerned about protein. 
people would say plant-based diet how are you going to get your protein but nobody says meat-based diet how are you going to get your thiamines or your b12s or you know people are really concerned with protein and so Mm -hmm. if we can go off topic just a little for a second what do you think has um what do you think has caused this shift or has caused people to be more interested in figuring out other ways to get all of the nutrition from our diets? Sure. I mean, I think people tend to forget that not just meat has protein. There's lots of foods that have protein. Um, and most of us are getting way more protein than we actually need. So it's definitely practical to get enough protein from a plant-based diet. Um, but I think the ship ha- shift happened for a couple of reasons. Um, we're learning now from evidence that too much meat in the diet can increase their risk for cancer. Like a research study came out from the, I think the WHO released it, that red meat particularly, too much of that can cause increased risk of cancer. And I think people are realizing that. And also environmentally too, people are getting more concerned with the environment and animals just produce more um, emissions and, and are more taxing on the environment than plants are. And so I think that's a big thing too that people are realizing. And so we're kind of shifting to this plant foods and we have more research that a plant-based diet is healthier, that even vegetarian diets can be better. Not always, but (laughs) if you do them right, they can be better. And so I think we're just realizing from this research and all, all those things that that's the way to go. And, and not that we can't have animals and that that's bad. It's just, again, it should be in lesser amounts than what we're having currently in the, our typical Western diet. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go off topic one more time. Do people, <laughs> do people ask you much about paleo diets? Not too much. Every once in a while, I'll get a question, especially from survivors sometimes. But actually, I... I I don't get a lot of questions about that anymore. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be as the it thing to do as it used to be. And maybe it is because we are learning more about just plant foods and, and the importance of plant-based diet. So I don't know. I find that it seems like there's no agreement on what a paleo diet even is. People will say paleo and they think of foods that they imagine our caveman ancestors ate but when you start talking to different professionals or different people about what foods they are actually eating and calling it paleo there seems like there's a wide range of foods included (laughs) in these diets yeah there is and and everybody right and every and there's different degrees of paleo i mean there's people that go all out and eat raw foods and don't cook because that's how the cavemen ate and that's paleo but then there's people that do cook them and then there's people that do add in a small amount of dairy or um sorry of whole grains and beans and those things so there's just it's like with any diet there's different degrees of it and people kind of customize it to fit what works for them so so last off topic question and then we'll bring it back around (laughs) yeah when you when dietitians talk about diet are they talking about what people eat or are they talking about how much people eat or both 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 i would say both yeah yeah it seems like yeah. in in the media or in the in the general public when we think of the word diet we're thinking about eating less we're thinking about the amount that we eat yeah it it could be um what i view it as is just the what and how much and diet to me is more lifestyle. It's not something I do for 12 weeks. You don't just eat for 12 weeks. It's just how you, the things you compose, everything that you eat is your diet. That's, that's what your diet is. It's not a, I think people have this negative term to it that dieting equals um, something that they're withholding from eating or um and that's not the case. I guess I use it more into what just what you compose your food intake of is <laughs> your diet. Yeah. So then along those lines, purple soda can be part of a healthy diet. <laughs> uh, it it can be, yes. Anything can be. 
It's just some things are in much, much lesser amounts than others. There's never, when I get asked, what's the one food I should stay away from? I don't really ever answer that question because there's not one thing that's demonizing or that's awful for us. It's what we're composing our diet, what we're doing day in and day out is our choices. That's what is the most important thing. Not one little thing here and there. I see a commercial that says purple soda is part of a healthy diet. Should mm-hmm. I take that to mean that purple soda is healthy? No. But they it's just said. Some... That's kind of tricky. And marketing can say whatever the heck they want to say. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, they they can call whatever they want healthy. There's really no, there's no good standard definition of that. So yeah. you can call anything you want healthy. Yeah, yeah. Just like you can call anything you want natural. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me started. Sorry, Doug. I don't yeah. need to open up a can of worms here. Well, you did because I have I have a deodorant that I love, and I've been using it for two years, and this is way, way off topic. But it's temporarily or for the time being, it's discontinued because a group, uh, they're called Truth in Advertising. Uh, they're bringing a class suit against – well, what is it called? They're bringing a class action suit against the people who make the deodorant because they're saying that the company misused the word natural. But natural doesn't have a definition. It, right, it doesn't. It and doesn't. now I have to order, uh, <laughs> the, I'm trying, like, s- searching the internet trying to find the last handful of bottles of this deodorant because you can't buy it anymore. So yeah. my, mom, my mom found some in Canada. Oh, geez. At 11.35 last night. And so I ordered like the last three bottles of this deodorant. Okay. <laughs> All because the word well, natural. They, they should just take the natural label off. Why? I wonder why they're stopped. I don't know. I think there might be more to it. I haven't finished reading the legal documents, which I will mm. because I'm extreme. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I'll finish reading, reading that later and maybe that will be an episode. But yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. How they can sue when there's really no standard definition of what that is Mm -hmm. there were also complaints about the way that some of the ingredients were labeled so i i will have to dive into that maybe that will be a different episode what happened to (laughs) terrell's adventures and what happened to terrell's favorite deodorant but anyway (laughs) back to the subject at hand we are going to talk about organic food so first things first because i'm sure you said i think that people sometimes ask you about organic food and if it's better yes all the time what is organic food technically it's food that is produced and grown and raised without the use of chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides so we're talking about Things that we would put on them to help them grow and things that we would put on them to keep in bugs and insects off of them. Right, right. Conventional farming uses synthetic pesticides and herbicides and fungicides to keep bugs off and to help them grow and to keep weeds at bay. Um, whereas organic farming does not use synthetic pesticides. So is organic like natural or like healthy where there's no real definition of what organic means or are there like rules that people have to follow to there's, to call their food organic. There's rules and there's a certification that all farmers must get from the USDA um, that require them to be able to call themselves organic. So yes, there are legal definitions with that and guidelines that they must follow. So it's not like natural. What about organic foods that come from other countries? Do they have their own standards or do they have to follow America's standards? So if they're bringing them into the US, they have to follow the US standards. So, and they're supposed to be tested randomly for the amount of pesticides. Because there's a certain amount that is legally allowed on them. For for example, if something is just considered organic, it has to be made with 95%, without 95% synthetic pesticides. So 5% can be used. So um, if it's coming in from other countries, it has to be within that 95%, whereas 100% organic is exactly what it says. It can have no synthetic pesticides and fertilizer, so that also is tested. Would it say that on the package? When we go buy things, would it say this is 95% organic or this other thing is 100% organic, or does it all just say organic? It will say if it's 100% organic, if it's 
just organic, that means it's 95% organic. It won't say 95%. It'll just say organic. Okay, so there's 100% organic. So there's no organic and then super organic and then organic <laughs> ultra. So there's, if you want kind of a tiered description, it's 100% organic, then organic, and then you can have boxes or labels said that say made with organic ingredients. And that just means if you flip it over the ingredients list, certain things will be organic and certain things won't be. Sometimes they'll denote on the front made with organic whole grains or made with organic whatever. Um, but the other ingredients aren't organic, so they cannot call it organic or 100% organic. So those are kind of the three tiers of organic okay. marketing. And then well, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> you said the M word. So the whole point of having organic foods and these can be plant foods or animal foods correct okay so the whole point of having organic foods is that they're supposed to be are they supposed to be better quality are they supposed to be more healthful do they have more nutrition are they better for the environment what yeah so a couple of those things so like i said they're not grown with synthetic fertilizers they're grown with organic fertilizers um i think people often think Organic means they're not spraying anything or they're not using any kind of fertilizer or pesticides, but they do. They use organic ones. Whether those are better, um, <laughs> it's kind of another gray area, you know. Um, hopefully, I guess, I guess is the, <laughs> the term that I, I, I tend to use. Um, but also, you mentioned better for the environment. They are better for the environment. Um, organic farming um, is much more sustainable. They use a lot of different practices that are much better for the gov- for the um, in the environment than conventional farming is. And that's one reason that a lot of people choose organic is because it's so much better for the environment. And then you mentioned also nutrient-wise, this is kind of a back and forth thing. They've done several studies on whether there is more nutritional qualities in organic versus conventional, and they've been back and forth. There's really no... Um, yes or no answer to that. Some studies show that it is better and more nutritious. Some studies show that it isn't. Um, It's really based on the quality of the soil, honestly, um, is what they're seeing a lot of times. And if the soil is a good quality, whether it's conventional or organic, then it's going to be more nutritious. So we're still, that's still kind of up for debate. So in theory, if you have one farm that has organic practices and another farm that has sort of conventional practices, but they both use the same exact soil. They could possibly have food that has the same nutritional value. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. According to our studies, it, there's really there, that just that factor organic conventional um, hasn't resulted in a exact answer to that. Um, there, like I said, there's so many more things. It's the soil, it's seasons too. The things are more nutritious when they're in season. So that's something that's depend, uh, another factor. Um, so it, there's really, right now we just don't know whether it's more nutritious or not. Maybe, maybe not. I've heard of a study or a body of studies where people who were invited to do blind taste tests couldn't tell Mm -hmm. the difference in the taste of the organic food versus the conventional foods either. Mm -hmm. And so if we consider that it's possible to have the same nutrition from organic versus non-organic, and if it's possible that it tastes the same organic versus non-organic, why is it that it costs so much more to (laughs) buy organic food than to buy non-organic food what is up with that and and we can start with avocados and blueberries if you want (laughs) i know they are so much more expensive um because it costs more the organic fertilizers cost more it's much more labor intensive um they don't have those big giant machines or those big giant airplanes spraying the fertilizers farmers are actually out there doing it so it's much more labor intensive um they have much more losses because they're not spraying things as much um, bugs get in and insects get in so their their losses are greater than conventional farming their production 
um, speed is slower. Things are slower to grow when they're grown on an organic farm. So they're not whipping things out as quick as conventional farmers. It just takes more time. And that just, all those things are kind of all the factors that make it cost more. Um, the demand is very great. So, and it's becoming more great. And so, as we know from economics, that <laughs> prices tend to go up when the demand is higher. So, all those things are kind of the reason that it's more expensive. They're not just making the price tag higher just because they can. Um, there's actually a reason for it. So, when you said that with the organic, you might suffer more loss, do you mean like all the crops could die or like you could? Lose. Yeah. So say, for example, if you have a bag of apples, organic farming might lose half of those apples, whereas conventional farming would lose one of them. So they just have higher losses. So they have to kind of eat those costs more. Um, so they have to make them up somewhere. And that's the extra price tag. What might those losses look like? It might be like because you didn't spray the apples because you didn't spray the organic apples, they get some disease and then you can't sell them or. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. oh, OK. Oh, I was just going to say, no one's going to buy an apple that has wormholes in it or is <laughs> all gross and infested. So they have to just toss it. And that happens a lot more frequently for them. So with this, with the organic stuff, it takes more work to grow. Or I guess if we're talking about animals, it would take more work to raise. It takes more work to produce the organic food. It's more risky because... If something happens and you can't sell it, then that's a problem. Like maybe there's some disease or some bug that destroys the crop. And then it would seem like you can't ship them as far. And they go bad faster too, right? Um, I don't know if they go bad. Yeah, I mean, some things may. From personal experiences, yeah, I would say they do. <laughs> It just seems like it's hard to imagine how with all those extra challenges, the organic is the more sustainable strategy, especially if maybe is it is it possible that when you don't use synthetic fertilizers or when you don't use synthetic sprays, you have to use more of the organic fertilizers or the organic sprays. And are those right. bad for the environment? The organic ones, no, those aren't, and that's why they're more sustainable, and they don't have runoffs like conventional farmers do. Um, things aren't getting into the air that can harm the environment or bugs flying around. Um, they, Their crop rotation that they use um, provides more nutrients in the soil. So all those things kind of just make it more sustainable. But it's, if it's more likely that you'll have some kind of die-off, and if it takes longer to bring those foods to market, it would seem like there would be less food to go around. Like, I'm, I'm imagining a world where we switch to 100% organic, and would we be able to feed everyone? Of course, we're ignoring the whole price-setting thing and the... Mm -hmm. If we ignore all the other weird things we do in the economy to control the price of foods and access to food, if we just think about the bare bones of how we bring food to market. If we were to switch to like 100% organic around the world, would we be able to produce enough food for everybody? You'll hear different things from different people. Some people say yes, some people say no. Um, I don't know for sure because I'm, I'm not in that farming world. Um, but, you know, some people argue we could and some people argue we can't. Um, Oh, I, I don't know. That might be another episode then. <laughs> yeah. This food yep. stuff. What about if, uh, what about if you have a farm on the left and it's organic, and then you have a greenhouse where you grow some of the food indoors inside the greenhouse, like this big glass house. Everything is the same with both these farms, except the one farm is just outside in the open air and the other farm is inside the glass house. Would one of those foods be more organic than the other? Or would one be better than the other because it grew outside in the wilderness versus inside the glass greenhouse? Mm -hmm. Not that I'm aware of, no. 
They would Someone asked me. <laughs> Someone asked me about that last night. I don't know of any studies that look at the nutritional qualities of foods in a greenhouse and outside. Um, it's a good question. I mean, because if you think about it, I mean, when it's outside like that, it's building up those phytochemicals, which protect it from the environment and pests in the sun, which are important for us. I'm not sure if the same what, what happened in the greenhouse. What are phytochemicals? So those are bioactive compounds and plants that, as I mentioned, they produce to protect themselves, basically, from the the sun and from pests and from the environment. And we're seeing from a lot of research that they're um, that they have a lot of beneficial things that in our bodies as well. So there's some a lot of different research with them that they can prevent the growth of cancer cells and. Um, boost our immune system and reduce inflammation in the body. So there's lots of ongoing research on the benefits of these compounds of what they can do for us. And they're only found in plants. This is another reason we recommend plant-based diet is because these plant foods have all these phytochemicals um, that are just these wonderful compounds that our bodies use and, and possibly beneficial. A lot of the research is, is in lab studies and cell studies, so it's still in the um, preliminary aspect. But there, there's some really good, promising things in that area of research. So, sounds like somebody needs to do the study now, where they compare growing things in the greenhouse to growing things outside in the field. There has to be a study on it. I'm sure there is. I just have not read one. I'm sure. Yeah, there is. yeah. Well, if there isn't, we need to do one soon because if we have <laughs> a zombie apocalypse or like an alien invasion and we all have to go underground, we're going to need to be prepared to grow food right? Poss- possibly in greenhouses or under lamps mm-hmm. or uh, what's the hydroponics? Is that indoor? That's growing in water. Yeah. Hydro water. Um, so they grow them in water. I'm not exactly sure how all of it works, but I know. Hmm. I think that that might be the, fu- well, I don't know if we have water shortage, that won't be the future in the zombie apocalypse. Uh-huh. Hmm. Ponder, ponder. Okay, bringing it back now. (laughs) Coming back to where we started in this thing. Yes. So you said people come up and when you meet people and when you're providing education about food and organic food, that sometimes they have questions about what they should not eat. Are there Mm -hmm. any organic foods that we should not eat because maybe they're less safe because they don't have chemical pesticides or chemical fertilizers? No, nope. All organic food is safe. And then what about, you had mentioned um, myths that people have about foods. Do any of those myths involve organic foods? Are there? Oh, yes. Are, what are some of the myths that people have heard about organic well, foods? Well, I guess not about organic, more about conventional. People have, I always get questions about if pesticides cause cancer. That's a very, very common question. And if they eat pesticides on foods, will they get a recurrence? Will they increase the risk of other diseases? Those kinds of questions are typically, and whether they should eat organic or not. Those are the main questions I get. And, and they mentioned before, it's kind of a gray area. I can't answer yes or no to those questions because we just don't have enough research to answer them right now. Um, we don't have any evidence that people that eat conventional fruits and vegetables have an increased risk of cancer from the pesticides. We just don't have that evidence. But that's not to say that they don't. They just don't. They do. So some of the, the research that people see when they go on the internet and shows pesticides cause cancer, a lot of those studies were done on people that are have more exposure to those chemicals. So farmers that are spraying those chemicals or people that live within um, very close distances of those farms. There is some studies that they have increased risk of certain cancers, um, but that's kind of, that's different than the everyday person that is just consuming the residues on fruit and vegetables. Um, so we, we just don't have any evidence that those residues cause cancer or increase risk of cancer. But again, that it doesn't say that they don't. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep not washing my apples and I'm good. <laughs> well, I would wash them if you buy conventional. Well, I would wash them either way. But I wash them when I have time. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm trying to eat quickly and do other things, and I'll just... I'll figure, well, it, it came off the ground. It's probably... Well, actually, no. You shouldn't eat the apples that came off the ground because that's where the E. coli and stuff comes from, right? The the bacteria from the deer poop? It could, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so another episode will have to be how we get E. coli food poisoning. Food illness. Yeah, foodborne illness. Like, don't eat yeah. the apples that fell on the ground because they might have deer right. poop and E. coli. Or you wouldn't know. You don't know which ones fell on the ground or which ones stayed in the tree. I think I heard somewhere that the the farmers are not supposed to sell the fruit that has fallen on the ground. I think they have to take it right off the tree. Mm. Whose rule would that be? Would that be like the USDA? Yeah, so they they are the ones that deal with all the requirements of farms. But are they really looking at every single farmer every single time? No. Oh, scary. I don't even want to go down <laughs> that path. of Yeah, because they're in charge of food safety, but the way I understand it is that they can only do so much because they're just one small, right. relatively right. small right. organization, and there's yeah. so much food, all the food. Mm-hmm. That's why I, one thing I, I like to tell people is if they can eat local and they know the farm, that's all the gold standard. <laughs> way to go. You can talk to the farmer and get to know them and know how they grow and use their food but not always practical for all of us so we have to hope that the farmer picks the apples off the tree not the ground yeah (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'll wash that apple after all (laughs) yeah i would definitely wash your produce definitely yeah i would recommend that yeah so you mentioned trying to buy local when it comes to your food Mm mm-hmm not all of us can do that. Some of us do eat foods or buy foods that have been shipped from other places. And one of the things we know about shipping food, especially, I guess, produce, is that sometimes people do things, you know, the shippers or the farmers or whoever, they do things with different processes in order to help the food travel better so that Mm -hmm. it won't ripen too soon or so that it won't spoil on the way to wherever they're shipping it to. Right. I think we expect that with conventional foods, but is it possible that those kind of processes happen with organic foods too? Sure, yeah. There's Not that I know of that there's any requirement on that. Um, if they pick them early so that they don't spoil as quick. Because um, organic stuff comes from far away too. Just because it's organic doesn't mean it's local. Just because it's local doesn't mean it's organic. Sometimes people think those two are interchangeable, but they're not. Um, so organic food that shipped far away can lose just as many nutrients as conventional food. Do we ever irradiate organic foods? Like I know we will uh, like pass the food through the radiation chamber right, right, in order right. to. Do we do that with organic I, foods? I don't believe they can. I don't believe organic foods can be um, radiated. Hmm. What about genetic modification? Because a, a lot of th- a lot of people have interest or concerns about genetically modifying foods, and mm-hmm. we all assume that conventional foods might be genetically modified or that they could have a label that tells us the foods have been genetically modified. And I think when we hear that or see that, we tend to think about people sticking tomatoes with syringes and putting chemicals in there, <laughs> or yeah. we, think, we think about people in a lab doing mysterious things, taking genes out of a banana and putting them mm-hmm. into a fish or something like right, that. Right, Yeah. Uh, we don't always think about genetic modification in terms of things just like crossbreeding of plants or th- like what we, like peppermint is a hybrid plant that's technically right, right. genetically and modified. So can organic yeah. foods be genetically modified? Is that is that a thing or is that not allowed no. either? they are not allowed if, if a food is organic it is not allowed to have any kind of GMO in it um, and that's one thing if you're concerned about them since they aren't required to be labeled um, if you do want to avoid them then you will need to buy organic and yes you'll know that there's no GMOs in any organic foods but your conventional foods um, it's always possible that there's GMOs in them um, if they're not labeled sure. what about something as simple as, as crossbreeding like I have one apple 
one one kind of apple that survives winter better. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to take the roots from that tree and I'm going to bind it with the roots to another tree that has apples that taste better so that they'll make a new baby tree that has apples that taste good, <laughs> taste better and do better in the winter. Is that considered genetic modification and would that be allowed for organic food? So my understanding is that crossbreeding, what you're describing, is different. Genetically modifying is taking an entirely different species and taking something desirable in that species and putting it into a completely different species. As you mentioned, um, the banana and whatever, um, or they were looking at taking the gene in salmon that allows them to um, live in the cold water and putting it in strawberries to make them more sustainable in cold environments. Those are two completely different genes. Um, That from my understanding, that's what is considered GMO. When you're just talking about two similar things and crossbreeding, that's that's a different thing. Um, okay. So they're yeah. So they're they're two two separate things. I mean, we've been crossbreeding for. I don't think anything we eat is the original form. Um, yeah. Things have been crossbred for thousands and thousands of years. Um, I read this really good book once called Eating on the Wild Side, and they talked about the original form of all these different fruits and vegetables and how none of it is what we eat today because our ancestors wanted something more desirable in them and so they crossbred them. So, so when you're working with people to learn about foods and organic foods or otherwise, what do you think surprises them most to learn? Um, a lot of people think that organic foods are more nutritious, um, and I think people are surprised to learn that that might not be the case. Um, people just automatically assume they have more vitamins and more new, uh, minerals and all these wonderful things, but um, as I mentioned before, that, that's from what research is showing, that they actually don't. They may have more phytochemicals in them, but again, it's, it's kind of mixed results. So I think people are often surprised to learn that their organic apple doesn't have much more vitamins than their conventional apple. Um, because like you said, the price tag's higher, so people want to assume they're more nutritious. Um, but as I mentioned, that not, might not be the case. Also, they're surprised to learn that when I say that we don't have evidence that pesticides cause cancer, I think people automatically think they do. And, and when I say we don't have the evidence to back that up, people are often surprised. Um, because they, if, you, if you go on the internet and type in pesticides and cancer, you'll get a whole bunch of people's opinions that they do cause cancer. So I think those are probably the two biggest things. Or that they use chemicals, that organic farming still uses chemicals. They're just organic or organic fertilizers. Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you wish people knew about food and this can be about organic food or any any food topic at all what do you wish is there anything you wish hmm. more people in the public knew about food I just I, I, I would say just at how beneficial vegetables are to us um, I don't I don't know if people realize just how important vegetables and plant foods are and how they have an effect on our health. Um, I guess that's, in general, one thing I wish more, that, that people knew how much what we eat affects our health and our disease risk, especially our cancer risk. Um, I don't think as many people as I would like know that the things we put in our bodies can affect whether we get cancer or not. It has the possibility to affect whether we get cancer or not. Not to say that it will, but it could. Step one, I think, is to get people educated about food and food health and nutrition. And then step two is probably making it so we have enough for everyone. <laughs> yes, yes, that is that is equally important. Yeah, yeah, because I think you mentioned food deserts before or places where it's very hard to get access to the healthier kinds of foods. While at the same time, there are plenty of unhealthy foods that are freely oh. available and very, very affordable. And then we have all these exactly. other health problems. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly a problem. 
a definitely a different episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so much to this food stuff. It could just be the food thing could be a podcast on its own. There's so much. It could be. Sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah. There is. There is. There's a lot. I'm gonna say it's ever changing. Yeah. Well then, I think we have come to the end of our talk about the snackums. So okay. to, to wrap things up, we'll just ask if you have any parting thoughts for people who are considering what what they have access to and what small changes they might like to consider in order to have a healthier diet, whether that include organic or not. I would say just eat your fruits and vegetables, whether they're organic or not. Um, that is the most important thing. Um, if you can afford organic and you want organic, great. If you can't, that's okay too. All we want you to do is eat them and buy them. Um, that is the probably the number one thing is somehow, some way, eat more fruits and vegetables. And ketchup doesn't count. No, I don't care what. Not. I don't care. Like, it's a more specific. Yeah. <laughs> Foods that look like they just grew outside. Well, thanks again so much. Mm-hmm. And y'all have a good weekend and a good yeah. nap. <laughs> I'll see you around the hospital. So that was really fun. Hopefully, you thought so too. Before we close for the week, as promised, here is some quick follow-up to some of the comments we made during our conversation. At one point, Candace and I mentioned that crossbreeding technically doesn't count as a method of genetic modification for food products. And when we said that, it may have sounded like we weren't sure if we were right. To be clear, Candace's comment about genetic modification is correct. Genetic modification of food does indeed involve changing its genetic material in a way that does not occur in nature. This means that breeding two different kinds of banana trees and influencing the genes of their baby banana trees is not the same thing as mixing genes from a banana and a fish. (laughs) But we'll talk more about that in a future episode on GMOs. If you missed it, there is also another episode on radiation, which further explains that stuff Candace and I mentioned when I asked if organic foods are ever passed through radiation chambers in order to help keep the food from spoiling. To hear more about that, check out episode 13. During my talk with Candace, I made a joke about how people seem to care more about proteins in plant-based diets than they do about thiamine and B12 in meat-based diets. When I made that joke, I wasn't suggesting that meats don't contain B12 or thiamine. After all, These nutrients can be found in all sorts of meat products. But what I was driving at is the fact that we seem more aware of certain nutrients than others, even though so many nutrients are critically important to our health. And if that doesn't ring true to you, just consider the last time someone looked at your eating habits and asked if you were getting enough phosphorus. I also tried to dig up more information about whether it really is illegal for farmers to sell apples that have fallen on the ground, and about how local or federal agencies might go about enforcing laws on the subject. What a mess that search turned out to be. For starters, I did manage to find information about individual states that make it illegal for people to eat apples that have fallen off trees on other people's property. I'm looking at you, Oregon. But I couldn't find any discussion of whether it's illegal for someone to sell those apples. I also managed to find copies of laws like the Food Safety Modernization Act of 2011 that describes guidelines for preventing foodborne illness on fruit, but 
I didn't see any specific mention of apples except for apples used to make unpasteurized apple cider. The standards I found for keeping fruit safe by controlling nearby wildlife and dirty water sources came up again and again, but like Candace said, these standards might be difficult for governments to enforce. And even if farmers try hard to follow government rules for keeping things safe, it turns out that at least some of them still drop the ball sometimes by doing things like reusing water too often when they wash their produce or not sanitizing their cleaning equipment often enough to eliminate contaminants like E. coli, which causes vomiting and violent, bloody diarrhea. Eventually, I decided that this topic probably deserves its own episode, but not before reviewing the Food and Drug Administration's recommendations on the best way to clean our produce, because... It just may have fallen on the ground before we picked it up at the grocery store. Luckily, their recommendation is to simply wash fruits and vegetables in running water without soap before cutting or cooking or eating them. And that's it. I probably should have started there. I think I'll have a nap after all that. So there you have it. It turns out that if you want to eat healthfully, all you really have to remember is that no matter what you've heard, ketchup isn't actually a vegetable. And I guess we've also learned that you should eat plants and phosphorus or whatever. That's all for now. Stay tuned, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42TOWERBEAMSUNSHINESTRAIN. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My apologies www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds?